Well, welcome. Uh, we have uh, gotten in a habit as a congregation of taking the month of May off uh, from all adult Sunday school classes um, in order to come together around just one topic that the session and uh, pastoral team uh, thinks is an important topic. Uh, this kind of started years ago as um, we were talking about, I don't ever have the, a, a platform or ability to kind of get the congregation together and just, and just teach, which I, I, I love to do. Um, I don't ever get that opportunity. And so um, this, we, we made a decision, I think it's been five years now, that we would just shut things down, pick a topic that we feel like our people need to learn uh, this is more of lecturing than it is preaching. Need to learn, and uh, and then just give me a platform to do that. And I have loved it. Um, we are this May going to be talking about evangelism. Uh, we are. We just planted a church. We hosted a conference on neighbor love. We are in the Book of Acts, which of course is uh, a book about the church going out with the gospel. And we just feel like in the rhythm of where we are as a congregation, um, now is the time for us to uh, continue to move onward and upward um, into our world. And specifically, that means evangelism. That being said, um, evangelism looks very different in our day and time than it has uh, not, not only 50 years ago, I would even say 10 years ago. Uh, that's how dramatically the landscape is changing. And so what we wanted to do is not just teach on old-fashioned evangelism, but uh, teach about evangelism in a secular world and, and what that looks like. So that's going to kind of be the theme of our time. Let me pray and ask for God's guidance, and then, uh, and then we will jump into it. Lord, first and foremost, we thank you that it is by grace we are saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And so no one here can boast uh, in our salvation. Um, It is by faith, and even faith is a gift. And somebody, at some point, decided to tell us about the gospel. And at some point, we believed. And we're saved. Even if we can't remember that moment. Lord, it is the, the sharing, the preaching, the proclamation of the gospel that saves souls. And so this is serious business, and we are, we are grateful entering into it that you chose in your goodness to preach the gospel and make us come alive in Christ Jesus. Now, help us, Lord, to be equipped as a, um, as a church, as a people, to evangelize. Lord, may TCPC not... Um, be known just for our theology, our worship, our community, our preaching, or may we be known as a zealous, evangelistic congregation. We need your help with that, Lord, and so we pray that you would give us us guidance this month as we uh, come around this topic together, and I pray that you would help me to, uh, to handle it well. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me, let me explain where we're going, let kind of map out in your mind where we're going, and, and we'll jump into this week. So I've got three weeks, because Memorial Day, I've got three weeks. Today, 
is more of just a diagnostic uh, teaching, meaning uh, I would like for you to leave here today understanding the world in which we are sharing the gospel, okay? Um, Because it has changed and it is quickly changing. So today is just understanding the context of evangelism, understanding our world. Next week, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take that world that we're going to kind of diagnose this week. Next week, we're going to talk in theory about how the gospel uh, meets that world, how the gospel applies to that world, um, because every, the world is always changing, but the gospel always works. So we're going to look at the new world this week. We're going to talk about, in theory, um, what does the gospel look like, what does evangelism look like in this new world that's upon us, and then the third week... Um, I am determined, because this is a weakness of mine, we are going to be as practical as possible. Practically, how do I evangelize in a secular world? So I'm going to be Mr. Uh, Mr. Practicality. I even have it alliterated for you, for uh, like a step process for you to lead somebody to Jesus. So there you go. All right. But uh, this week is the stuff I love to do. Um, which is, uh, which is surveying the landscape and helping us understand the world. Let me just say this up front about evangelism. Taste Creek Presbyterian Church exists for the glory of Christ and the good of the bluegrass. Uh, that necessarily means evangelism is a top priority for our church. I hope you understand that. If we are truly concerned about the glory of Jesus Christ, then we will be concerned with evangelism. Because nothing brings more glory to Jesus than his salvation of sinners. If we are truly concerned with the good of the bluegrass, then we will be concerned with evangelism because nothing is better for the bluegrass than the salvation of sinners. So um, all I'm saying here is we literally cannot be faithful to our vision as a congregation if we are not evangelizing the lost. But we don't need vision statements to bind us to um, evangelism. It is not optional for a follower of Jesus Christ. And I just want to begin there. I want to ground us exegetically in this. The Christian is one who has been reconciled to God and then handed the ministry of reconciliation. So let me just ground us in the call of evangelism and then we'll look at the world that we live in. 2 Corinthians 5. Here's a verse we know and love and, and um, memorize. One of the first verses we memorize. As new Christians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We love that verse. That's our, somebody evangelized us and voila, a new creation from God. Except that Paul then continues and says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. And this is how he defines reconciliation. Not counting their trespasses against them. Forgiveness of sins. And he has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Notice we here. Not Paul saying, I am an ambassador. He's talking to the church. He's saying, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This should be the life of every follower of Jesus. I have been reconciled, and now I am an ambassador of reconciliation. And yes, 
that has implications for so much of what we do. But when he defines reconciliation as God is not counting men's trespasses against them, he's defining it as forgiveness of sins, good old-fashioned gospel sharing, salvation of the lost. So clear as it could be from this passage and many others, evangelism is not an option. If you are here and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is not an option. You have been reconciled to God and you have been handed the message of reconciliation. Some are more gifted at evangelism, um, but all all of us are called to evangelism. So the call to evangelize is unchanging, but, and this is the key, and this is the point of the whole reason why we have to have a series on it, evangelism is itself always changing. Let me say that again. The call to evangelize is unchanging, but evangelism itself is always changing. That is to say, how we do evangelism should and must adapt according to cultural contexts. And so that's why it's important for us here to understand our cultural context. And to do that, um, I'm going to tell you the story of one of my uh, missiological heroes, a guy by the name of Leslie Newbegin. Um, He is... He's a lot like C.S. Lewis, but a, uh, a little bit harder to read, uh, but I do commend him. He, he's, 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 he's brilliant um, when it comes to this stuff. And here's what happened with Newbigin. He was born in England and ordained um, in the Church of Scotland, actually, ordained in our, in our tradition in 1936. Okay, so 1936, uh, Brit, Britain. Then he went and served as a missionary in India for uh, many years. And in 1947, he even changed his ordination as the, he became the bishop of the Church of South India. Then in 1974, so ordained in England in 36, or in Scotland in 36. In 1974, Newbegin returns to Britain where he takes up a lecturing post. And what happened is, and this is where he becomes so influential. So he's gone for 30 years. He's gone from Western culture for 30 years. And when he returns to England, he is amazed at what he's found, what he finds. And what he finds is a completely different world. What he famously begins to call a post-Christian society. A secular society defined as a post-Christian society. Society, And so then the rest of his life and the most notable part of his life is devoted to apologetics and public theology in a post-Christian world. Now, what do we mean when we're talking about that? What did he discover? This is very important for us because this, is, this will soon be us. I, I have had the New Begin experience. I have visited three of our four missions partnerships. I've been to Togo, Mexico, Scotland. Um, I, I think the plan is for me to go to our fourth this year. But I... Not surprisingly, expected Scotland to be the easiest of those. And what I found it was the darkest, by far. Um, Togo, you have voodoo um, that you're battling. That's some creepy stuff. You've got the Islamic call to prayer that goes out every day. Okay, that's some pretty intense stuff. Mexico, you've got excessive poverty. You've got corrupt government. You've got all the many differing expressions of Christianity and heresies that you're trying to deal with. And then there's Scotland, and this is us, right? This is, this is our history. This is where we come from. And I'm thinking, wow, I get to go to motherland, you know? And I go the first time, and it was just profoundly unsettling. There's something incredibly unnerving, almost, almost I would say eerie, about a post-Christian society. That is to say, those who have known the gospel, 
built an entire society around the gospel. Christianity as the foundations of its ethics, education, science, business, art, architecture. Everywhere you look, the foundations is Christianity. And then a total and complete rejection of its Christian heritage. A society that has known Christ and now is actively seeking to rid themselves of Christ is a very, very dark society. Many of you have experienced that in Europe. And make no mistake, it is coming here. Now, there are differences. I do not like the simplistic, what happens in Britain is happening here in about a few decades. There are, there are key differences. There really are. Um, and not to mention revival that is taking place in America, which is, which, is, which is exciting. But I won't get into it. We don't have time. But uh, a couple things that, are, that, that, are, that, that we have, um, and we owe this to a Presbyterian who I'm becoming obsessed with, Witherspoon. A couple things that we have that was just assumed over there is a First Amendment written in stone. So that changes things. It's not an assumption, but it is actually written. That's why it's very important. And this separation, this this church-state separation, um, that is not intended um, to keep church out of the state. It's to keep the state out of the church. And so there are some unique differences, but but I will grant, and in other words, I'm not the doom and gloom guy, but I will grant that what is happening there is happening here. Um, that the secularization and post-Christian society of Europe is emerging here. And when I say here, I would say, um, I would say maybe not necessarily Kentucky yet, but I would say Lexington is probably, well, certainly Lexington and Louisville, but I say Lexington as a university town, as a progressive city, if you were to actually get out and get to know uh, your neighbors, um, you'll probably discover that they're, 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 they're pretty much there or one generation away from fitting into what you would discover over in the United Kingdom. And so I do think we're probably a generation away from the secularization, all-out, post-Christian kind of idea. You see the rise of the nuns, they call them the non-religious in the polls and, and whatnot. Now, The impact this has on evangelism is that there are three assumptions that we can no longer make that we used to be able to make, okay? The implications of a post-Christian secular society is that we no longer can make three assumptions that you have always been able to make in um, in your evangelism. And what I want us to see this morning is kind of the dismantling of those and then we'll come back next week and see how to replace those. But we're just going to look at what we've lost this week and we'll talk about how to gain that back in a different way next week. There's so much we could say, but I'm going to sum it up with these three things that we used to assume, but in the new world that we inhabit or the world that we're going to be inhabiting within a generation or so, three things that are lost. Religiosity, objectivity, and authority. Let me explain what I mean by each of those. First, religiosity. <laughs> the first is the assumption that people care about a religion at all. I mean, that is what is upon us, okay? The definition of a secular age by Charles Taylor, who coined the phrase, the philosopher Charles Taylor, is a secular age is an age where it is actually plausible to live as though there is no God and as though religion is not necessary for one's life. That's what's new. 
in the history of mankind, there's never been a culture where it was plausible to live as if there was no God and gods, whatever you want to say, and as if religion was not important. That what's new about the secular age is we've been able to create a world where that's actually plausible. You can live a happy, fulfilled life. We'll talk about next week how it's not as fulfilled as you think. Happy, fulfilled life as though these things don't matter. So the first, the first thing that, that you need to understand right now is that um, religion is just not that big of a deal. Um, there was a time when we could assume that people believed in some God, that we had some common ground there, and thought that religion was somehow important. Even, even the most corrupt of societies, you, you, uh, you watch, you know, like the Godfather movies and whatnot. You know, even the most corrupt people in society, they still had this religiosity about them. They still had this reverence for something transcendent in religion. Well, that's over. But why that matters is that it used to be evangelism was essentially taking a baseline assumption and helping people refine it to the one true God and the one true gospel, right? Like taking someone who speaks English, but their English is terrible, their grammar is just completely off, and helping them understand how to speak English rightly. In a secular age, people are speaking different languages. They have no idea what you're talking about. There is no baseline assumption that there is a God. There is no baseline assumption that religion matters and I should even care about it. You cannot assume any longer that your neighbor wants or even cares about religion or God altogether. And evangelism has to take that into account. Has to take that into account. You've got to get them first to the point where they even care. And we'll talk about a lot of that uh, next week. So what does it look like to evangelize those who don't want to be evangelized at all? It's a big hurdle. We'll talk about that. Second thing that has been lost in our new world is objectivity. When I say objectivity, here's what I mean. Objective moral values or even objective persuasion, logic. Not long ago, knocking on a door of a stranger... Or approaching someone in public and presenting them with a coherent, logical presentation concerning the forgiveness of sins, something like Evangelism Explosion or one of these programs, was very effective. Even something like a little track could be persuasive. I I give Mark a hard time. He keeps his historical roots. He's got these on his desk. Uh, I see you back there. I give him a hard time. Would you like to know God personally? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Step one, here's God's love, God's plan. Step two, here's the sin problem. Step three, here's the cross. Step four, you want it? Yes. Voila. This all presupposes moral objectivity and logical persuasion. And that's why it was so effective where I didn't have to have a relationship with you. I can knock on your door and if I can convince you, I got gotcha. you. Because you believed in moral absolutes. Like, in other words, you believe there is this thing called good and evil, bad, sin, judgment. And I'm going to have to stand before a God. So the first question they ask is, if you were to die tonight and stand before your creator, do you think you'd go to heaven? Okay, that used to be a relevant question when we believed in this thing called judgment and moral absolutes. 
And then it followed a very persuasive, logical argument. You've got a problem. Jesus can fix that problem. Do you see how the cross makes it work? Yes, I cognitively get it. I see your logic there. I want that salvation. Okay, well, what do you do when they don't believe those things anymore? When moral objectivity is gone. This is why evangelism used to be able to be very impersonal. It did not have to be so relational based. And we'll talk about that next week. Its effectiveness was rooted in a culture that accepted moral absolutes and submitted themselves to logical arguments. Those days are soon to be behind us. Boomers, you're you're still there in a lot of ways. But soon they will be behind us. This is because we inhabit a postmodern secular world. Most people don't recognize a standard of morality that is transcendent. Certainly not your morality. Good gracious, you want to offend our secular world. It's not just a standard, it's you're trying to tell me your standard? It's a subjective morality, meaning, I talked about this in my Easter sermon. Here's what's, here's what's my moral is, here's what's true for me. That's what's true for you, sure. You have, you, you have your rights and wrong, I've got my rights and wrongs. It's just the subjective thing that we get to define by ourselves. And we have a subjective reality. This has replaced logical coherence. It's just the subjective reality. No no longer persuaded by logic. Argumentation argumentation simply doesn't work anymore. Okay? The good old-fashioned apologetics of old, as much as I love that stuff, as much as you probably love that stuff, it just doesn't work because logic has been replaced by subjective experience. And, you know, the gender identity thing is, is example number one. Um, I, I know, I, I, I totally get uh, you boomers and older ones want to say, I, like, this is like literally logical nonsense. Like, what am I witnessing? This is crazy, but you have to understand that the game has changed and logical assumptions have been replaced by subjective experience. What is so obvious and logical to genders aligned with sex has been replaced with, no, 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 this is my identity. This is what I experience. So don't give me your logic or your science in that one area, at least. And so objectivity is gone. So whether that be moral or argumentation, we're done with the objective stuff, okay? How do you evangelize a culture that no longer believes in objectivity? We'll talk about that next week. Last one is authority. Third thing that has been lost. So they're no longer religious. They're no longer objective. And third thing that has been lost is authority. And when I say authority, I have in mind ordained authority as well as institutional authority. Not long ago, inviting someone to church was a fairly good evangelistic strategy. Why? Because church still had some sense of reverence and respect. Our culture actually cared what the institution of the church in general had to say and what an ordained minister in particular had to say. The, the world actually used to care about what guys like me said. No more. You may find me, you may find me up here uh, particularly compelling, but I dare you to invite your... Uh, Secular, unbelieving, postmodern, post-Christian, progressive friend to come hear me preach. I promise you, I will not be as persuasive to them as I appear to you. Because they don't want to hear what I have to say. 
They have no respect for what I have to say. In fact, they are, by cultural, um, by cultural habit, uh, uh, trained to distrust what I have to say. To distrust institutional authority. So you can't bring them to church to get them saved anymore, is what I'm trying to say. We can't have a revival, and I get up here and I give a really moral, objective, persuasive, logical thing that ends in an altar call, and you just bring all your friends and they're all going to get saved. It doesn't work that way anymore. The days of the Billy Graham crusades are over. I'm very thankful for Billy Graham, very thankful for the, uh, the revival that took place in his age, and I know uh, many, many of you um, older among us could tell stories about attending a church revival or a Billy Graham crusade or something like that and hearing somebody that you respected, whoever, I don't care if you're religious or irreligious, back in the day you respected Billy Graham and you wanted to hear what he had to say, you'd give him a shot, those days are over, they don't care about me, they don't, certainly don't care about institutional authority. So you can't assume that they care about what the church has to say or what the experts that you respect have to say. Now, here's my one caveat to that. You would say, okay, so the Billy Graham Crusades are officially over. The big events, come listen to a speaker. That doesn't really work anymore. But we still do them. We still, like our campus ministries have a, um, have a, a well, what do y'all have? Y'all have a winter conference. You have a, is it New Year's or? New Year's conference. They have a New Year's conference where a bunch of thousands of college students come and listen to a speaker. But I promise you, if you start talking to those campus ministers and you start talking to the students, they're not there to be persuaded or really even that all that speaker's doing is giving a platform for relationship. Like they're at that conference because of relationship. And all that speaker's doing is providing something for them to work out their relationship stuff in. It is not the days of come here, the expert, the ecclesial expert who will convert you. Authority is no more. So you can't assume they even care about religion or God. You can't assume, you can't use objective moral reasoning or argumentation, and you can't bring them to church or some other revival event to let the expert authority get them saved. We have to accept that the days of evangelism like that are nearing their end. I would say in Kentucky, there's, you know, this is, this is an extreme. Um, but certainly, if you go visit the major metropolitan areas of our country, this is, this is what you'll experience. But Lexington, I would say, too. And, and, and um, I think those methods, largely with the boomer generation, um, you know, we want you around as long as we can keep you. But uh, when, when, with that generation, I think we'll probably, we get into my generation um, and leadership and authority, I think that, that that pretty much will be the end of the old school evangelism. Now, I want to say something aside. And this is really, 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 really important. Okay, I want to say an aside here. I really like outdated strategies a, bit, a lot better than no strategy. A lot. Meaning this, I get really upset by folks like me who can critique the old ways of doing things without presenting a better way forward. I like the way you're doing things better than the way others are doing absolutely nothing. And so, yes, I get in my Uber and I talk to my Uber driver and 
I use good old-fashioned EE sometimes. I like doing things, outdated strategies, a lot better than no strategy. So to you who have a zeal for evangelism and, uh, and go after it, thank you. Um, I guess what I'm saying is maybe we can, have, together in the, in the coming weeks, we can, we can imagine a way forward that would take all of uh, that evangelistic zeal and, and help ima- reimagine what it would look like for the new world that we live in. We have to recognize the game has changed. And yet the call to evangelism remains the same. And so we need to rethink evangelism according to the new world that is upon us. Um, we have to rethink evangelism that reaches the heart of culture, not the outskirts of outdated culture. Something interesting, going back to Scotland, if, you, if you've been to Edinburgh, and there's the famous Royal Mile, and you go down it, and it's all the history, all the Presbyterian history. There's John Knox's house, that's where John Knox preached, there's the old churches, there's the old restaurants, there's the old pubs, everything's preserved. And you get down to the bottom of the Royal Mile, and there's one building... One building that's not historic, that's not beautiful, that's been built recently. There's only one new thing on the Royal Mile, and it's the Parliament Building. It's a very fascinating look into their culture. It's as if we're okay with kind of this remnants of our past, but where the real stuff happens, where the real rules are made, where the real culture is formed, this we own. And it's a very ugly postmodern building in the heart of the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. We have to rethink evangelistic strategies that would reach that building. That would reach the heart of what our world is becoming. And so, is it possible? Yes, it's possible. Please, listen. No culture is unreachable The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. It is more powerful than any cultural change. It has withstood the test of time. There is no culture, there is no tongue, there is no tribe, there is no nation that is unreachable, yes, including a post-Christian society. But we have to contextualize our strategy according to those changes. That, That is a big bad word. In some church circles, contextualize, scares people. One should not equate contextualization with compromising the gospel in any way. It is not compromising the gospel. Contextualization is simply following the lead of our Lord who incarnationally pursued mankind and took upon himself our context. He entered into a first century Palestinian world and took upon himself our very context to meet us where we are and what we need. Likewise, we follow the example of the apostles who throughout the book of Acts, as we shall see, wisely discerned the culture around them so as to present the gospel in resonating ways to the culture. Their speeches look different compared to where they were. And there's a reason for that. And so what we're, what we're going to look at, we've diagnosed, we've diagnosed the world, the doom and gloom stuff, okay? Now we're going to talk about, okay, can the gospel reach this? And the answer is yes, 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 a thousand times yes. We're just going to have to rethink how we do it. 
And, and, I, and I'll say this. Well, I'll save it for next week. The world has changed. The gospel is not. Jesus says, fear not. I have overcome the world. Come back next week. And we'll talk about um, the practicalities of that. Lord, we look at all of this and we're tempted to despair. What do we do with a culture that doesn't care about God or religion? What do we do with a culture that we can't even have a conversation with because objectivity is out the window, who doesn't have a set moral values? What do we do with a culture that distrusts an institution like Christianity implicitly? How in the world do we reach friends, neighbors like this? Lord, there's a, there's a, there's a way forward, and, and Jesus, you show it to us. And so I pray, um, Lord that we would not leave here despairing and without hope, but we would leave here excited about learning what it looks like to reach a post-Christian world, a secular world, to reimagine how to love our neighbors, to be trained to, to, to have them into our homes and practice hospitality and love them well and share the gospel whimsically. Lord, this world is secular, but there are cracks in the secular. You continue to break through. You continue to shine. You continue to be true. And I pray that you would in the coming weeks teach us how to do that well. In Jesus' name, amen.